0: Due to an abundance of caution, we're canceling our event. All over the world, event organizers have had to make the difficult decision to send this message. 76% of people surveyed said that networking was a top driver for why they chose to attend a live event, according to the International Association of Exhibitions and Events. How do we keep networking if live events are being canceled, postponed, or becoming virtual events? This necessary response to a global pandemic is an opportunity to create a strategy around networking that will benefit you now and when life gets back to normal. Because while 76% of people say that networking was a top driver for why they chose an event, they didn't likely have any strategies in place to help them actualize those intentions. Whether your upcoming event was canceled, postponed, or moved to a virtual format, you can be intentional about how you build stronger connections within your industry and within your community. One, reach out to someone you would have seen if the event hadn't been canceled and invite them to join you for a virtual coffee chat. Two, host a virtual peer led discussion on a topic that attracted you to attend the event in the first place. Three, Host a virtual happy hour by inviting six to eight people to join you with their beverage of choice. Four, contact speakers you are looking forward to meeting and ask them a clear and concise question. Then remember to follow up and let them know what happened when you took their advice. Five, send notes of appreciation to event organizers, thanking them for their hard work, especially in light of the difficult decisions that had to be made. Six, Reach out to friends and colleagues whose livelihoods are intertwined with the meetings or travel industries. They'll appreciate your support during these uncertain times. Seven, reconnect with former clients to see how you could support them with virtual programming or group coaching. Eight, step up your engagement within industry-related community groups on Facebook and LinkedIn by posting resources, posing questions, and offering support. Nine, If attending a virtual event, actively engage in the chat box by posing questions and offering commentary. Your challenge for this week, keep calm and keep networking. Social distancing shouldn't equal social isolation. Stay connected one-on-one and build opportunities for virtual community connections. Reinvest in your network now. It's your best insurance policy. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest teaches strategies to succeed no matter what the economy does, turning uncertainty into a competitive advantage. Voted one of the top 15 business growth experts to watch by Currency Fair, she is an author, business strategist, keynote speaker, and growth expert, creating ownership at every level and helping people create profits at every turn. Her career expands over several industries, including banking, healthcare, and finance. She worked her way up from an entry-level position to earn her seat at the C-suite table. She is a certified speaking professional, a designation held by less than 12% of professional speakers, and is a member of the Forbes Coaching Council. She's also the author of several books, including her latest, The Best Sales Book Ever. Please join me in welcoming Meredith Elliott Powell.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: You have the best book title ever.
1: <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs> the most modest book title ever. <laughs> best sales book ever. I saw that and I was like, now I want to read that. because It's that's, <laughs> that's a genius marketing plan, Meredith. I love it. So thank you so much for joining us uh, from your office in Asheville, North Carolina. As you know, this is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: You know, I guess that I would define leadership as, um, you know, if I had to really, really say, I think it's very simple. I think it's that when people follow you, you are a leader when people follow you. And I think that I first realized, um, became aware that I, had the, um, that I had the skills, probably on the kickball field in, um, in Boyle School in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, is that I was always the organizer. I was always the one um, coming up with the ideas of whether we were going to play kickball, whether we were going to get on the monkey bars. And people always seemed to want to do the things that I, um, that I was suggesting. And it was, you know, kind of from there, I sort of became the leader in most everything I did, whether it was power of position or just the person that people seem to follow.
0: Well, two things. One, you're right. If no one's following you, <laughs> you're not doing a very good job leading. <laughs> that's, that's the simplest answer I've ever gotten. I love it. <laughs> when true, right? It's like yeah. totally true. And two, I love that you dug back to a memory on like the playground, Because sometimes I get answers from people who are telling me about like business school or law school. And I'm like, but what were you like as a kid? So clearly there was some innate like part of you that felt confident making suggestions. And people look to you then for like, well, what are we going to do? What, you know, what is Meredith doing? Let's go do that. Where do you think that stems from? Is that, was that something that your family encouraged? Did you see other people and like emulate them? Or was it just sort of who you are?
1: You know, what a what a great what a great question. Cause really when you asked me the question, my first thought is, you know, my first corporate job. But then, but then I really started to think about it. And not that I not that I knew I was aware of it, but my natural leadership tendencies definitely started coming out of there. But here's where I think it came from. Mm-hmm. I was not raised to be a leader in the traditional sense that we um that you would be taught to be a leader but my mother was very adamant and where i think this came from was as a child i was raised to um to make sure that everybody else felt included, and everybody else belonged. So that meant that when I went to the swimming pool as a kid, my mother wouldn't allow me to go play with the people I already knew. She would say, there's two children over there who don't know anybody. You need to go over there and make sure that that they have friends. And I really didn't like her for that as a child because it was very uncomfortable for me. But as I grew into um, an adult, it's the greatest asset. And I dedicated my first book to my mother because of that, because it, it, was, it was the greatest skill I've ever been taught. And so I think, I think that's where I learned to be a leader, not necessarily to run the show, but to make sure that people were included and involved and everybody felt welcome.
0: I love that you just expanded definition of leadership to include making people feel like they belong, like they are welcomed into a space. I and mean, that, is, that is totally down my, uh, I mean, that's my alley. Like That's the work that I do. And I, I even have gone so far as to say, I think there's a difference between inviting and welcoming. Yes. You know, people might've been invited to the pool, but then mm-hmm. they got there and they're just sitting there and don't know anyone. They don't right. feel very welcome there. So what a gift your mother gave you, but I can also imagine what a pain <laughs> that was <laughs> yes. as a kid. And I'm now trying to imagine this because I have a two and four year old. I'm like, hmm, can I instill that? I mean, like that is what I would want them to know. But how did that translate as you got into, you know, I don't beyond grade school, you're in, you know, junior high and high school and college. Did you continue to have that awareness of others who didn't feel like they were sort of invested in the space and they were kind of hopping around the edges?
1: Yeah, it's it it is. Um it was, you know, it was so ingrained um in me. And I would really encourage you to do it with your young children because it's, um, it is the basis of my entire career and, and my success. If my mother had not ingrained that in me, I'm not sure where I would be, but it was, it was, you know, sort of like how your, um, you know, your parents tell you don't sit on the arm of the couch, don't do certain things. And you just do that even though you're, you know, I'm in my fifties now. I d- still do everything my mother told me, you know, I was supposed to do. So it became so ingrained in me Um, all through junior high and high school. But where it paid off was the moment that I hit the working world because I didn't have a great um, education and I was not that kid who knew they wanted to be a doctor. I was kind of lost as to what I was supposed to do. But what that skill taught me and what it gave me was that all I ever did was walk up and introduce myself to people and make sure that people felt that they could join our team, they could join our circle of People were talking to, and that has led me down a path my entire life of meeting fascinating people, making unbelievable connections, and opening doors I never could have opened with traditional methods.
0: Wow, that's so so such a powerful testament that what I'm preaching works. Yes, like yes, I want to just like this is an audiogram that I have to do. You know, it's like oh, this is amazing. I want people to know this works, and that really, you just you were inviting people in and that led to all these opportunities. You weren't going to them wanting something.
1: No, um, you know, that was, um, I, I mean, I'm, I am I very much believe what you believe. And I, I always say to people, if you build your network, you will change your life. But the way that networking was ingrained in me was that you were always supposed to give, that networking isn't about getting. Um, and that was... And that's true. That's, that's valid. Now, I've changed, changed my tune a little bit in the end. I mean, you need to do some things to work your network and stuff. But, but the way that um, I think that it worked for me so well, and it has, because I truly was taught to go at it genuinely trying to make people feel comfortable and to feel um, uh, you know, a, a part of, that, that, it, wasn't, um, that it wasn't off-putting. I
0: imagine this is actually then part of your leadership style and why people were drawn to you. And whether you had the title or not, people were willing to follow you because, well, they felt welcome to.
1: I, I, I would definitely agree with that. I would think it's because, um, you know, when you, when you learn to give first, whether you're networking or whether you're leading, what you're doing is investing in other people before you ask them to invest in you. And if you invest in other people first, people are just going to be drawn to you, right? I mean, we all love going to that party and sitting next to that person that asks us a million questions about ourselves. And we hate sitting next to the person who talks about themselves. So it's um, you know, so I do think that it, I think it creates natural followership because people see their ideas and um come to fruition and they feel like they matter.
0: Yeah, being seen is yeah. such a big, a big important piece of this. Yes. So um as you're uh developing and you know, you said you were a little lost going into college. How did you land on a career path? Like Looking back, does it make sense? But maybe as you're on the journey, less so.
1: Um, it makes no sense looking back. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> um, but it's um, but but in the sense that I can see the red line or the through thread or whatever um, whatever uh, you know whatever people um, uh, call it is that uh, what has happened. What basically happened in my career? I didn't. I mean, I got out of college and was just basically looking for a job, and. Um, I landed a job in travel and tourism. And my job was to convince people to come to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to go on vacation. It was not a big challenge. But it was um, it was in that role that I started to learn about business and learn how businesses work. And that led to a job in healthcare. That led to a job in um, financial services. That led to what I was doing to what I'm doing now. But the through thread and the thing that everything has in common was I was always incredibly involved in my community and my industry and I was well-networked. And because I was well-networked, people knew what I could do. They'd seen me in action and that would open another door.
0: So what a fascinating array of industries (laughs) that you've moved through. Uh What was the kind of work that you were doing as you Made these shifts.
1: Yeah, so I worked in um, when I worked at, at the at the Myrtle Beach, Jerry Chamber of Commerce. I worked in uh, my job was to do the um, publications and public relations. So I was doing some writing and and um, you know some uh, some radio work, that type of thing. But when I got into healthcare, I got into healthcare to build referral networks for doctors. And the way I got that job was literally saying, "Look, I've done this all my life. I've walked into a room full of people. I have no idea who they are." Or, um, or what they do and by getting people and connecting to them and getting people to follow what I do. So it was from um, my ability to be well-networked that I got that job, and then I was successful in that job, and very well connected in in the community. That um, the banking industry actually came to me and said, "You know, we need more women in um, in banking. Uh, you're well known in the community. We'd like to hire you." And that led to an unbelievable opportunity. Um, I got that job when I was like 30. And by 36, I was writing strategy um, for the company, and simply just because I could. I could come up with an idea and, and, um, and get people to buy in and get people to follow.
0: Yeah. I mean, really it's most basic, your willingness to go over and say hello to someone.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, it is. You know, I, I, I would, I would love to tell, um, I always, whenever I speak or, or talk about networking to a group, I always say, you know, this is going to be so helpful for you, but if you would like your children not to live in your basement for the rest of your life, start taking notes. Cause this is the key.
0: Yes, it really is. Right. (laughs) Well, so as you made these shifts, because eventually you left, when did you start focusing more on entrepreneurship and less so, you know, having a a quote unquote job? Um, Like (laughs) what, what, what made you decide that that was something you wanted to do?
1: It was my um it was my 40th uh uh birthday and um 40 to me was just I always knew somewhere in the back of my mind that I wanted to go out on my own and um and I was having I mean just my corporate job was fabulous and my um my boss was amazing and I had just gotten a promotion and they walked me into the office and showed me where I was going to be sitting and what I was going to be doing and all of a sudden something just hit me like I don't want to do this. I don't want to live in this town. I don't want to do this job. And I went back to my boss and I just said, I think I want to give going out on my own a try. And 40 just seems such a powerful age to me because you're old enough to be taken seriously. But I was young enough that if I didn't do well, that I could still get a job. I was still really, um, really employable. So 40 is when... um, I took off with full support of my, um, my company behind me. They were really good to me and helped me uh, get launched. And uh, I never look back.
0: Well, two things that come to mind. One is I also, five years ago at 40, yeah. made that shift.
1: that's awesome.
0: Yeah. My father learned something. He told me something he read in a paper when I was 20. He said, you'll have four careers by the time you're 40. He like read this stat. And that the skill that I needed more than any was the ability to just transfer abilities, like the, uh, be fluid and, and, and willing to go with the flow was actually the skill to develop, not a hard skill. Yes. And I was, you know, inching towards 40 and thought, you know, I'm really close. I haven't done the fourth one yet. <laughs> 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 and it just was sort of like, I, yeah, this is time. Um, the other thing is that I don't actually think you went out on your own. Like from everything you're telling me, Meredith, <laughs> that's true. That is the exact opposite of how you showed up in the world on the first day of being self-employed.
1: That's it. that is um, that is exactly right. It has from um, from day one been my um, been my network around me, and that is how I have found my path. Um, is it's it's even today. I mean, some people I talk to, and they're not part of their industry organizations or not involved in their community, and always think. This you must be making this so much harder than it than it has to be.
0: Mm-hmm. I was just telling someone that uh when I um left my my day job career and I chose to focus on speaking professionally. And I had been paid to speak for years before that, but I was like, okay, this is my this is now my career. I joined the National Speakers Association and I made a decision that first year that I would go 10 years in a row before deciding whether it was worth it. Wow. And they were like, Ten years is a long time. I said, "Well, the ten years is going to happen one way or the other." <laughs> right? Do I invest in this network and this community and this knowledge, or do I try to figure it out on my own and come to them later?
1: That is, that is, um, that is really, really. I, I love this idea of because I was about. I don't know. I was maybe 4 or 5 years in when I started to get a little discouraged. You know, it's um you're in and you know people kind of have their networks and their groups. And I was thinking about letting it go when a friend of mine said um you know you need to put you need to put more muscle into it. You need to to do more and you need to expect less out of it. I kind of lost my way in that and boy she was so right because everything just shifted um for me after that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I see that you got your CSP, which is yes. a, a big deal. I love that you explained to people what a big deal it is in, in the intro that you shared. It's really important though, because I don't think a lot of people understand that it's a it's an effort to to fill it out. Um, it's a lot of paperwork, a lot to keep track of. <laughs> yes. But it means you've done your your reps. You know, you yes. have done your time and you're treating this as a real profession. Um, but when you're first getting started, like you didn't know that that was going to happen. And so... What was the challenge between, you know, the decision on your 40, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to plant my flag and, and do my own business and getting to the CSP. Was there was there a mindset shift that had to happen? Was there a technical challenge? Was there a team that you had to build? Like what what slowed you down and kept you up at night?
1: Well, I, did, I mean, I have... Um... Uh, my biggest weakness is uh, is lack of belief in myself and so I remember sitting in early um, meetings and thinking that CSP is something I will never get I will never um, I will never uh, achieve and then you know after you know I started looking at things and thinking I could do this I found a woman by the name of um, Kate Holgate. And we call Kate the um, CSP whisperer. And, um, and Kate said, um, I, I was introduced to her through another speaker friend of mine, um, Linda Larson. There goes your uh, network again. And I met Kate and she said, Meredith, you're more than, um, you're more than qualified. And um, she said, I want to help you get your CSP. And she really held my feet to the fire. I can't tell you, I would not have my CSP right now without her. I mean, she would, I, have to, I would have to turn things into her. She helped me get all my paperwork um, together. But she believed in me far more than I believed in myself, which I think is another mark of a really great leader, sometimes holding the space of confidence and belief for people before they're ready to see it themselves.
0: And I'm sure you have done that for so many other people.
1: Well, yes. I I would I would say definitely um that I have and it was uh you know it's funny you don't realize that you need it um done for yourself.
0: Yeah, coaches need coaches. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can't we can't give ourselves the best advice. Sometimes I'm coaching a client and I I hear myself and I'm like make note of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> make note of this. You, my wife goes, "Did you do all the homework yourself that you're giving them?" <laughs> it's you're like, right. "Oh, yeah, I should no. probably do that too."
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: So, 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 how did you maintain that confidence? Was it again your network believing in you and giving you sort of introductions and connections?
1: Yeah, I would definitely, um, I would definitely say that that the network's been. Um, been very important in, in the sense of, um, like I was I was thinking tomorrow, I'm going to have a call with a friend of mine in NSA by the name of Kelly Swanson. Now, Kelly was my very, very, very first friend um, at NSA. And she's an unbelievable master to- storyteller and just really successful um, in the industry. And of course, we were both starting out at the time. But Kelly's always been attracted to me for my business sense and the things that I can put together from a sales perspective. And I've always gone to her for helping crafting keynotes and stories and things. And I say that, um, uh, to, to help people understand that in building your network, think about the assets and things that you bring to the table and what you can help other people with, and then surround yourself with people that are complimentary um, to you to help you kind of shore up the pieces of of the business that you need help with. I mean, I feel like, you know, I look to the you know, the Kelly Swanson's of the world who really taught me how to, you know, how to craft um, the keynote, my, my mastermind buddies who've really taught me the business of speaking, you know, but really getting those networks together, but having the confidence to say, I don't bring everything to the table, but what I bring to the table is really solid and I'm going to pour everything I've got into my friends. And in turn, they'll pour everything back into me. And, and with that, we can all help elevate ourselves to the next level.
0: You mentioned in there a uh, masterminds, I'd love to hear how you came to be in one because I think not everyone understands the value of them and don't know how to find the right people. So what led you to being part of a mastermind and how did you find the right people for your mastermind?
1: Well, the only way I found the right people is because I've been in a in a lot of um, not so good masterminds. But let me just, let me say with that, that every mastermind has its, I mean, I think you attract where you are at the point um, in your career. So pretty much since I've been in National Speakers Association, or I'm in another group called Women's Sales Pros, um you know, you collect with a group of people, um, and, uh, and, you know, who want to get together, you have a, you have a common goal and you, you know, meet on a monthly, quarterly basis. Maybe you get together, um, you know, once a year. And I've had a couple that I've given a try and haven't worked out, um, you know, for me long term, but I'm in one right now where, um, I feel like the three people that I'm in it with, there's four of us total. I respect them. They are kind, approachable people, which is very important to me. They're the type of people, um, National Speakers Association, that if anybody asked them for anything, they'd be the first one um, uh, to give it to you. There is Driven. Uh, um, as I am, and I believe all three are more successful than I am, which is always a good thing to um, to look for in a um, in a mastermind.
0: Yes, there is a little bit of competition of wanting to <laughs> to get better and to yeah. to be surrounded by people, and they probably think that of you. You know, it's like it's wonderful when you're each uh, supporting each other in that way and appreciating each other's uh, efforts.
1: Absolutely, that's,
0: that's really wonderful. So I am so curious about your habits and practices, in particular around nurturing and sustaining your network not i mean you have your close circle of friends which you clearly like have connections with and maintain connections with but what about that second and sort of third layer out the maybe people you only see once a year at a conference or you worked with five or ten years ago um, but you haven't had a reason to see them a lot recently so yeah do you have any like habits practices philosophies around nurturing sustaining that
1: yeah, I'm, I am, I am obnoxiously disciplined around that. <laughs> um, you know, um, so I have my inner circle, right? The people that I'm always going to interact with and I'm all, I'm always going to see, and that's my people within NSA. And it's also within, um, the other, uh, the other business networks. But then I have a second and I have a, um, I have a third and my second tier are really people that maybe are my referral sources or their clients that I've just turned out to be fairly you know good friends with or people that have met in a course or a class or you know things like that and those people I just make sure that I am in touch with them at least every um, quarter more like um, every other month and then I have people in a um, in a third tier and those people in the third tier is that maybe it's somebody that I've worked with in the past that you know we don't stay in in touch very regularly but I want to make sure that I stay um, on their radar and those people I call them my holiday people because somewhere around the 4th of July I do something and then somewhere right around the first of the year I do something um, with, with with those people just reaching out getting in touch asking how they're doing those types of things
0: about how many people are do you think are in that third tier
1: yeah so in that third tier there is I can tell you I can tell you exactly in that third tier right now there's um, there's 57 and in that second tier there's um there's 60.
0: So manageable. These aren't yes, hundreds very. and hundreds. See, you're selective even though you have these these groups. And are you so you said very disciplined so do you have a CRM that you're
1: using? Yes, yeah, I use um Zoho CRM. And um so also um you know, so basically if you were here with me at my house in Asheville, North Carolina and you got up with me in the morning, you'd see that the first thing I do is I um I go make a pot of coffee. I come upstairs with my cup of coffee. I sit down um, at my office and after I meditate and read my goals, the very first things I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to a couple of people just from a strict networking standpoint um, and then I'm going to make a couple of sales calls. So that's how I start my morning every morning, no matter where I am in the world.
0: Wow. When did you start that practice?
1: Yeah, I started that practice, um, gosh, I've probably been at it about five years now. And, um, and when I say I meditate, understand I'm a 10-minute med- meditator. That's as much as I can do. But that may sound like a silly little amount, but I can really notice the difference if I don't start my day that way. So, um, so that, you know, that, that whole morning routine um, you know, really, really takes me no more than an hour. Mm -hmm. all of it, you know, making, reaching out on my network because either I'm going to reach out online or I may just write the phone number down. And then when it's a decent hour of the day, I might reach out and, um, and call those people. Sometimes I send people a note or, you know, or a card, those types of things.
0: You are such a unicorn. You use your phone to make phone calls.
1: (laughs) I do. I, and I still use the handwritten thank you note.
0: Handwritten thank you notes. Yeah. These are things that in a, in a digital world, you know, in an analog world, things like this, uh, the, the analog stands out when you're, we're in digital world. So that's, that's really great that you're doing that. Um, but is that a practice also taught by your mother to like write the thank you notes? Uh, yeah.
1: So here's an, here's another great thing for your children is that, um, uh, we were not allowed to play with our, um, Christmas presents or our birthday presents until we write our thank you notes. So we could open them but we weren't allowed to play with anything until we wrote our thank you notes. And so, you know, here I am at the ripe old age of 56 and it is so ingrained in me to write a thank you note before I do, um, anything again, I did not like, I did not like this quality of my mother, um, as a child, but as an adult, I am, um, I am eternally, uh, grateful. I mean, it's just, just the, the power of the handwritten note is, um, is huge and the ability to, um, to easily and quickly send one out truly makes a difference.
0: So when you're traveling, I imagine you travel with the materials to send notes. Is that like part of it? I do. Preparation?
1: Yep. Always, always have them with me. I carry a a folder and inside the folder are are always my notes.
0: Yeah. Notes, stamps, a pen. I mean, sometimes it's about preparation even more than follow through, right? Like you might have the idea, but not be able to follow through if you didn't have the materials. So-
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and I mean, you're so right because there you are sitting on a plane and you have 10 minutes before takeoff. I mean, you can, you can really use small increments of time. You can write a handwritten note while you've got your coffee in the microwave.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's really about deciding this is how we're going to use the time. This is important. What's the feedback you get from your network for writing these little notes and making these quick phone calls?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I just got, um, Uh, I just got one uh, today. I had sent, I sent a couple of um, notes out to, uh, to a couple of bureaus for Valentine's um, Day. And I just, you know, I had a card, but I wrote a handwritten note in there. And I just, um, I had, I wrote one to a relatively new bureau who I don't know very well. And um, she wrote back to me and she said, um, she said, you know, I'd met you at, um, at annual convention. I was impressed with you, but you just took it over the top.
0: All of the simple handwritten, note
1: all, yeah, all because card. I read, yeah, all because I did that,
0: yeah, all wow. because I,
1: yeah, all because I took the time, and it really, but but I want to say too that it's um, it's not a tactic; it's truly something that you're doing. I don't know with the right intention.
0: Because otherwise, it really doesn't land right.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, um, (laughs) you know, I am in Asheville, North Carolina, so I hesitate to be too much of an energy um, person um, because we are in the land of woo-woo here. But I really do believe that um, that our energy comes off in in everything we do, and so um, the intention behind um, the intention. I mean, every time I write a note, I really think to myself, "This is going to um, it's going to make somebody smile." I love to get a letter. I mean, I just, I love it. And we just don't really get them anymore. I look through my entire mail pile looking for something that's handwritten. Um, and so I just think, you know, you're going to, you are going to bring a smile to somebody's face.
0: That's brilliant. Um, so earlier when you were talking about welcoming people in, I just, I don't know if you've seen my TEDx. but I have not. So I just want to bring it up because it's so on topic for this. Um, it's called Hate Networking, Stop Baggling, and Be the Croissant.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: That's great. And it's a a, part of the talk that I've been doing for over a decade. It's about body language. So if people are standing in those tight little clusters, those shoulder-to-shoulder huddles that are impossible to break into, that's the bagel. But if someone shifts their body language and makes space for others to join the circle, that's the croissant. Yes. So my book is also croissants versus bagels, and uh, it's about networking at conferences. But I mean, it's uh, everything you're teaching. You know, your mom taught you. And someone the other day challenged me to write a kids' book. So oh. now, with everything you're talking about, I'm like, wow, okay, I maybe mean, think about this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. Um, I mean, I really, uh, as I said, I mean, I it, it just, um, I am so grateful now. That I, I just watch people who are um, who really struggle um, with that. In fact, I got into teaching networking in colleges because I got a phone call from a professor of mine who said I've got you know kids with three point eight grade point averages texting to try to get a job, and they you know and they need to understand. Um, You know, it's the technical skills, people can teach you to do that. We truly are back to the, um, you know, back to the soft skills of being the most important things, which is what I love about this high-tech world. We may be in high-tech, but we are still people and it is still emotional.
0: And it stands out when someone does it. Yes. Like when you genuinely reach out in that way, people notice it, appreciate it. You're seeing them, which is, again, people want to be seen, when you're when you're traveling, are you the type to organize dinners or gatherings as you're like speaking or you know city to city?
1: When um when I uh, when I travel, I really try to be in, in work mode when I travel so that I'm present um, with my family when uh, when I'm home. So if I do set up gatherings um, when I travel, and I do, they're um, they're work related. Every once in a while, I'll send in something that's you know just personal and fun, but I try to um, uh, I try to reach out and make them uh, work related. Like next week, I'll be in um, Greensboro, and I've got two meetings while I'm there, and then I'll be in Houston, Texas, and I've got one outside meeting while I'm there.
0: Yeah, yeah, g- using proximity, right? Yes. Ge- geographical proximity. Why not? While we're here, have some space and time together. That's great. So I. I, this is, uh, you're, you're just so diligent. Are there any other tips or things that you, you do that would be helpful for people who are listening?
1: Well, I think that, um, you know, really when it comes to your network, when you think about following up, when I talked about those circles that I follow up with, um, really think of them in terms of your target market, your ideal client, because you can't follow up with everybody, and um, and you want to make sure that you're net. I always think of you know networking, building my network, things like that. As much as I love it, when it's business related, um, everything that we do business related takes time away from our family and our personal life, and we need to be mindful. Of it, And so, you know, I may have met somebody at an event who's funny and, you know, upbeat and all that, but they, you know, they work in the circus. And while that's interesting to me, you know, if I want to stay in touch with them, I can't count that as a business connection. And so um, it just, it just people say to me all the time about networking, they say, you know, it's a huge time investment and I don't get very much out of it. And the reason that happens is because you are not networking in the places that are going to, you know, by osmosis, connect you to the people to, um, to learn and gain the things that you need to learn. And you're not being selective about your follow-up.
0: Yeah. Amen to all of that. So I hope that we stay in touch for yes. a very long time. and. I, my sort of wrap-up question is actually around that, which is we're connecting a year from now and we are talking about all of the amazing success that you've had the previous year. What are we going to be celebrating?
1: Oh, so so the biggest thing that we are going to be celebrating is the fact that I finally got my online platform totally um, launched and, um, and those courses are out there um, really integrating um, uh, so well with my, um, with my speaking and I'm not traveling, um, as much. I've launched two new books and I did, um, I did, uh, um, hike the Tour de Mont Blanc.
0: Wow. And I love that you got that all that was supposed to be said in past tense. (laughs) Very good. People really struggle with that, which (laughs) means you're thinking about it. I mean, I can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. I feel like people should just re-listen to this three more times and with take down lots of notes because you have so, so many great, not just tangible, like you said, there are the tactics, but then there is the, um, I don't know, there's like the emotional, how you approach doing these things. Like it's genuine. It's, the word gets so overused. It's genuine and authentic. <laughs> Hashtag new and improved. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> but you have, what what is the biggest thing that's happened because of your network? Like what, is there a thing that transpired that wouldn't have if you hadn't asked for your network support?
1: Oh, I I mean, I could bury you in the things that, that, Um, That have happened to you, but I'm going to give you two two quick ones because I have to. Because one's on the personal side, Um, but um, but I'm a I'm a big outdoors person. I love to do anything outdoors, whether it's hike, whether it's bike, whether it's play golf, whether it's play tennis. I just put me outdoors for anything. I grew up in a golfing family, um, and golf was very important. My parents had it on the television every single Sunday. Well, because I've learned to push out of my um, of my comfort zone um, and and introduce myself to people, I was lucky enough that Tom and Sue Fazio moved to a town where I was living, and Tom Fazio is arguably the most famous golf designer ever in in. In ever. And Sue has become probably one of my very best friends. And, um, and that never would have happened if I hadn't pushed out. But it is from her that I have met the greats of the Tom Watson, the Jack Nicholas, that just the world that has opened. Because I bothered to push out of my comfort zone the other quick story I'm going to tell you is on the personal side is just like I told you I get up every morning and I You know I make my little contacts and I would reach out to a woman that I had worked with for a couple of years I just really liked her knew she was on the ball She transferred jobs um, And I noticed she was going to be in a city where I was speaking. We met and had lunch I totally talked about her. She was embarrassed. She hadn't asked about me Um, She said what's new with you. I gave her my book. She read the book she which surprised me but that that book led to probably the largest contract i had ever had in in my life it led from one job to another job to all these jobs within her company but on top of that she shared it with a friend of hers and um who worked for a company in hawaii and for 2 years i was paid to go to hawaii every other month all simply because i reached out and took somebody to lunch wow <laughs> yeah
0: Okay, so I I have something that I've been working with my clients on and then now I'm going this is gonna be required listening for them. I asked them to make a list of a hundred people that would recognize their name and that they would like to hear from out of the blue. And sometimes there's a third criteria of like a specific industry or focus, right? But based on where they're trying to go in life. Um and they've started, you know, I was like, and then reach out to them, like just re- reconnect. It could be someone from 10 years ago, college, whatever. And they're starting to see these struggles of success because rekindling those long dormant connections is so much easier than trying to establish a new trusted connection from scratch.
1: Uh, absolutely, and it is, and it, you know, it, it again. You're just bringing a smile to somebody's face when you, um, when you reached out. I shared the stage with a woman um, a couple of years ago, and she'd fallen off my radar. I just loved her. She used to be head of um, all the customer service training for the Ritz Carlton, and now she's moved over and she's head of that for NetJets. And she'd fallen off my radar, and I, I came across her contacted my contacts the other day. I just reached out and said, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I let you fall off my off my radar. How are you doing? I'm going to be in Ohio in a, in, um, in a couple of months. I would love to grab some coffee. What are you up to? I did it with another woman I shared the stage with probably four years ago, and she's going to be in Atlanta. I'm going to be there in May. It was kind of, I went back through these things. I'm like, how did I let these incredible people go? But it gets people smiling. It's all you have to say is, I can't believe I dropped the ball. I'd love to connect with you again.
0: Yeah. It's not hard. It's so funny. It's, how, it's funny how scary everyone makes it out to be. But if you're on the receiving end, you'd be yeah. like overjoyed to hear from someone out of the blue like this. So this has been amazing. I am thrilled that I had you on. We have to do a shout out to Mary Kelly.
1: Yes, we do. We love Mary Kelly. Kelly.
0: That uh, you're on this show as well. So we'll, we'll refer people to go listen to her episode as well. So um, last question, which is how can people find you and follow your work?
1: Well, i really do hope that people um, follow, reach out to me because I really am a big believer in networking and you can find me at my website, which is valuespeaker.com, just the words value and speaker.com. And of course, on all the social networking sites, I tend to live a little bit more on, um, on LinkedIn, but if you reach out, I promise I'll respond.
0: Fantastic. We'll have those links in the show notes as well as links to all the books that you have, including the best sales book ever. <laughs> <That's>
1: <laughs> Thank right. you so
0: much for joining us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Meredith. It's such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 186. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as nearly 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Many people make a living within the ecosystem of large scale events and have been hit particularly hard as more and more events are canceled or have become virtual events. This includes the AV team, venue staff, hotel staff, wait staff at nearby restaurants, Uber and Lyft drivers, and Lots and lots of other people who live paycheck to paycheck or gig to gig. Missing a gig means less money for the basics. My wife and I are committing a small monthly donation to the Greater Boston Food Bank in honor of these workers, and we invite you to support your local food bank if you can. Can't give a lot? Send them a few dollars and write an encouraging note on the donation form. Local food banks are going to have to step up and meet an increased need over the next few months. If you enjoyed this episode with Meredith, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.
1: Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.